a dose of joy this morning. Um, and God and I were chatting, and I was talking about all the emotions that we kind of like run through in our lives. And I was like, man, if joy could just be something that we hold on to all the time, like why is it that all these emotions are fleeting and I feel like I have to choose joy, like this doesn't make any sense. And then God was like, hey, guess what? Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a placement of being. And if you think about it, it's one of the fruits of the spirit, right? And fruits are often sometimes referred to as produce. And that's like an American fancy way of saying the word produce. So like the tree produces the fruit. And God has already told us that he is the vine and we are the branches coming out of the vine. So he's the tree, right? And we're the things that get to have the production, the produce, the fruit, the joy, and God gives it. And so if you're ever having a moment where you're struggling to grasp a hold of joy, um, it's probably because, frankly, our hearts are not in the right place. We're not posturing ourselves toward God in a way that is how he has designed us to be, which is the branch off of his tree. And so that should be joy-inducing, right? Because we don't really have to do anything but be attached to the tree. And that's the nature of our being. And so if we could just surrender, let go, and be the nature of our being connected to the tree, God gives us all the produce. And like, I'm not saying that from a place like somebody walking around with all the produce, okay? Because I barely got any, and it's bruised, and it's falling apart, and half of it's rotted. Okay, I'm just being frank with everybody this morning. So if you could use some posture of joy today, good luck, you're good news, you're in the room, and, and he's going he's gonna to bring it. And then we get to celebrate him for what he's brought. And so I would really hope that you could grab a hold of that this morning. And if you are like myself and you're a really bad clapper, uh, I don't know if we clap on the one and four, the three and five, the 19, guess what? Also good news. Today's song is a one, two, three, four clap. You just clap on every one of them and you're gonna be in the right place. That is joy inducing, okay? That's joy inducing. We're talking today a lot about that there's nobody like our God. There's nothing like our God. We're gonna find nothing and no one that's greater, gooder, better, lovelier, holier, more worthy of worship than our God. And so bring worship to him this morning. Celebrate the receival of his produce today. And uh, I'm going to be right there with you, okay? Yahweh 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 
Peter. No one, no one, no one. Who else can heal all our sins and diseases? No one, no one, no one. Who else can walk, walk on the water? No one, no one, no one. Who else can answer, answer by fire? No one, no one, no one.
no other God before you. There will be no other God before you. There is no one above you, no one beside you, and nobody like you. There is no one above you, no one beside you, and nobody like you. There is no one above you, no one beside you, and nobody like you.
like you a God of love a God of grace a God of second and third and 333rd chances a God that forgives sin and restores brokenness 
that exchanges ashes for beauty, sadness for a garment of praise. A God that, that takes the little that we have and exchanges it for the bounty that is in you. A God that even hell and death and sin could not hold in the grave. Because Jesus, even though we celebrated Easter two weeks ago, we are still living in the resurrected life of the, the risen Christ today. Daddy, we're reminded of the fact that even though there's sometimes we can't see you moving, that you're moving behind the stone. That you're a God that wants to display his goodness in the land of the living. I pray today, Lord God, I lift you up, I give you glory, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, just come and be exalted in this place. Whatever is, whatever obstacle we're facing, whatever, whatever door has been shut, whatever brokenness, Lord God, that we're holding on to, I pray today that you send your spirit to come and move in our midst. Change us from the inside out. Set a fire down deep in our soul that we can't contain. We can't control something that just makes us want to love you with everything we got. Holy Spirit, come and move. Jesus, there's no one like you. Jesus, there's no one like you. Come on. Jesus, there's no one like you. There's nobody like you, Lord. Come on, make that your prayer. Make it your prayer today. Nobody like you, we bow our knee. We shout at the top of our lungs. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We love you. We praise you. Come and be glorified in our midst. In the name of Jesus Christ, we give you the praise and the glory. And together as one church, we say amen and amen. Come on, can we just praise him for a moment today? Can we just say from the bottom of your heart, thank you. Find a thank you. Find a thank you in you to say thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Oh, what a great remembrance, church. What a great reminder. Who wouldn't want to serve and love and praise a God like we've got? A God who doesn't hold it against you. A God who's not waiting for you to be perfect. A God who's not didn't wait for you and I to figure it out so we could get to Him, but rather came to us. What a great God. For some of us who were trapped in religion for so long, who were taught that we had to do right, be right, get right before God would ever be with us, there is a hallelujah that should be deep inside right now. There should be a thank you, Jesus, rising up and saying, God, thank you for taking me the way that I am and changing me to be like you. What a Jesus we serve. I'm so glad that you're in the house today. I'm so glad that you got up this morning and found a breath to praise him with and 
got in your car and came on out. And Look, if this is your first or second time, we want to say welcome to Connect. It's great to have you here. Thank you for being our guest this morning. We pray you uh, just consider making this your, your place, your home, uh, your community. If you want to know a little bit more about us, there's uh, QR codes all around. There'll be QR codes on the screen. You can just tap on that. Let us know that you are here. Find out more about who we are. But we, it's not about who we are. It's about who we get to be together. Because for us, you hear me say it all the time, but church isn't about a Sunday event. It's about us learning to do life together. What's it look like to live life with one another? That's what this is all about. I'm so glad you're in the house today. I want to, can we give a shout out to everybody who's on the line as well? We love you guys. We know so many of you are on vacation today. Some are sick. We're praying for you. We're believing for God to do something so good that you're checking. Now listen, but don't just be, uh, don't, don't just be an attender. Come on. Where you are on your couch, on your bed, on your vacation, get some praise going. Because the same God that's in this house is the same God that's in your house today as well. We believe that. Well, before we're seated, before we send the kids out, I want to say a huge thank you to Pastor Kevin and Pastor Lisa for last week. What a great word. Such wisdom. Thank you for pouring into our house. It's that, that's the wisdom that they pour into this generation right now, into the families right now. That's what we, man, what a blessing. I don't know about you, but I need, I wish I would have had a Pastor Kevin and Lisa when I was their age. We need, they need some Aaron and hers around them to lift them up as well. Amen. That's what we're here for. Hey, uh, today we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask middle school to stay in today because just part of the message, I want to make sure that they grab a hold of today as well. But all the rest of the kiddos, if you could follow Pastor Lisa and Kevin out with that sign, give them a hand as they're going. Church, give them a hand for all the children, the, the men and women who serve. Bless the kids as they're going as well. Hey, and as you're, beating, as you're finding your seat, give somebody next to you a high five. Tell them they're looking good today. Tell them it's good to see them this spring weather. I was in California last week, and I'm going to tell you about it in a second, but I was thinking it was going to be warm. I was wrong. It was way warmer here. But I got a chance to go to California to speak at, uh, you sent me, this is what we do as a church. When I go, we go. Um, that's when I go, we go. This isn't what I do, this is what we do. Um, and I, uh, we got a chance to go and, uh, and speak at the Mission of Hope Summit in California. And we got to do it with some amazing men and women, men and women of God that you would know. Um, but it was really about what Mission of Hope is all about. And for us, Mission of Hope is a, is a mission organization that exists in Haiti. They've now expanded to, um, to the Dominican Republic because that's the whole island of Hispaniola and also then into the Caribbean. They're, they're, they're partners of ours that we have supported for years now. We're going to continue to support. We love them. But I realize that maybe many of you may not know, especially after the, after the pandemic and the restart here at church, what we do around the world. And Mission of Hope is amazing. Uh, I was a mission pastor for many years, and I got a chance to travel all over. And the, Mission of Hope was one of the first agencies I've ever seen that actually gave me hope that a nation could be changed because of the way they do it. And uh, they, look, they serve in Haiti where there's 7 million people that live on less than $2 a day. Seven out of the 11 million people live on less than $2. We spend three times that at Starbucks this morning. $2 a day. 
The illiteracy rate is 40%. 40% of the population can't read or write. Where medical care is almost non-existent. They are the poorest country in the Northern Hemisphere. And yet, Mission of Hope is dedicated to changing every man, woman, and child. They, have a, they feed 125,000 children a day. A day through their network. They've started over 17 schools to educate people in, with, with a Christ's kingdom focus. They've started a pastoral training school. They've started a technical training school to raise people up to teach them how to do technical things. They have an 80% job rate upon graduation from their technical school in a, in, in a place that has like 17% employment. They run multiple medical clinics. They have a, a medical ship that goes all over uh, to the islands, especially during um, some of the hurricanes and earthquakes they have. They have an ambulance, an EMT. Um, they, they build houses. They dig wells. One of, my, one of my favorite things that they do is they have, they have a farm co-op, which I love, that works on the 10% principle. This is how it works. A farmer comes to them and says, I need seed to be able to plant. They give him seed. When the harvest comes in, that farmer brings back 10%. Puts it in the storehouse for the next farmer who has a need in his community. So there's seed in the storehouse. Does that principle sound familiar? Amazing. They, they, they have sports camps and sports centers, and, but it's all about Jesus. It just is all about Jesus. But it's not without cost. Not just physical cost, but spiritual cost. I was just with Pastor Samuel who oversees all the pastors there. He's Haitian. And in one of the services on one of their campuses, just a few months ago, his cousin was pulled out because they thought that they could get to him. They pulled him out of service, and in front of the church, they shot him dead. Here's his crime. He was a man of God. That's it. That's it. Forty miles away from your homeland right now exists a country where people pull people out of a service and kill them for simply preaching the gospel. Take a look at the video. Over 1,700 
side by side. Mission of Hope is all of us, together, committed to life transformation through every man, woman, and child. Today, we have the opportunity to help build a better future for generations to come. Following Jesus, we will go where he leads. A video was put together by young men and women who graduated from their technical school. It looks like it was put together in Hollywood. When uh, the earthquake happened and when Hurricane Matthew happened and when the last hurricane happened, the government came to Mission of Hope. The U.S. aid came to Mission of Hope and said, you have to help us because we don't know how to do what you do. And through the network of churches that they have built, they were able to respond to people in real need. This is what the church should look like. This is what we are supposed to be doing and what we get an opportunity to do. Because if you've never seen their face on earth, there will be a day when you see their face in heaven. Because they're going to be able to say thank you because you gave I didn't know. I hadn't gone to school. I was illiterate. I didn't have any food. And Jesus can get to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Because we don't have to do everything, but we all can do something. That's why we do what we do with, uh, with uh, Thy Kingdom Crumb, our mobile food truck ministry, trying to do just a little bit of that in our own neighborhoods. We have a, a, a silent auction coming up. You'll be receiving, if you come to church, you'll be receiving a, a, an email about that in the next couple of weeks about how you can be a part of that because we can only do, feed people with what comes in. And we do it every week in powerful ways. Let me just make one more announcement, just in, one more invitation before we hop in because it really is a, a, an invitation this whole morning to rise up and become the men and women God's called us to be. On May 21st, uh, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. It's one of my favorite services that we do here. If you have never been baptized, if you were maybe baptized as an infant following your parents' faith, or maybe you were baptized a while ago, but to be honest, you've now said, I'm on. I'm, I'm ready to go full on for Jesus. We're going to have just Just go to, the, go to the site. Go to the Linktree site, the QR site. Let us know. Let your Forge group uh, leader know. Let your shoulder-to-shoulder uh, -shoulder leader know. Let one of the pastors know. We, we're going to have a great morning. It's the Sunday after Mother's Day. What a great gift to give your mother. Is this saying, man, I'm all in with Jesus. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning just a little bit. How you doing, church? You doing all right? Do you need to take a breath after that? I, I had to spend three days. That was three days of my life. But I love it. I'm passionate about it. I love it. For the first time in my life, there's hope. Not because there's one more mission agency in Haiti, because there's thousands of them. Because there's one that sees the church not as the financial role, but as hands and feet alongside of them to make a difference. So I'm just letting you know, we will probably have one of those food packing days here so that we can pack some food packets and set it down to them um, as well, because Haiti's not open right now. Too dangerous. But what isn't dangerous is the Word of God. So let's get to the Word of God. 
So I know since you brought your Bible this morning or you have your cell phone or your iPad or something, you can open up with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51. Isaiah is the 23rd book of the Old Testament. It's kind of right there in the middle of the Old Testament. It's written by Isaiah the prophet, the man of God, who's bringing a word into his community. And if you need a title for today's message, it's Overcoming Spiritual Jet Lag. Because after spending six days in California, can I just tell you, in California, it's easy to get up in the morning. Like, it's easy to get up in the morning because there's like, you're on the beach, there's palm trees, right? Santa Ana breeze is blowing, right? I'm going to have In-N-Out Burger or some street taco for lunch. Hallelujah, bless Jesus, right? It's just so easy to get up when you're out there. But, but, but what, what I noticed and what I know most business travelers know is that when you get back from that coast, when you get home, it's a lot harder to get up because your behind is jet lagged. Right? You're just tired. It's like your body gets used to that kind of time zone, and then you get back home, and you're all groggy. I know I was groggy this week. I was probably short with Danielle a little bit. Don't say amen. Hallelujah. There's just, you know, you're, 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 you're a little slow. And this is what I know. The longer that we spend on the one coast, the harder it is to adjust to the other. The truth is, my friends, it's easy, I think, at times to fall prey to jet-lagged Christianity where we have spent so much more time living and existing and enjoying the other coast that when it comes to holiness, when it comes to our pursuit of intimacy with Jesus, when it comes to being discipled and making disciples, when when it comes to living a life that seeks the kingdom first, we often feel groggy. We feel like we're two steps behind. Our, our, our praise feels like we're three beats off, Margo, right? We're, three, we're, we're not quite there. And, and, and being part of a church at times feels like it's an anchor around our neck where we're just kind of dragging it through. Add on top of that the natural exhaustion that comes from wrestling with all the things we face in our natural world, our jobs, our kids. Come on, somebody, some of the kids say amen, right? How we try to navigate our relationships how the, the weight of increasing bills with decreasing expendable cash, personal disappointments, professional pressures to perform. And we can feel like, I'm sure many of us feel, like we're just sleepwalking through this life. Come on, how many of us have just ever felt tired when it comes to life, especially our spiritual lives? Just tired. I'm just exhausted. So that's how deep. I'm, just, I'm exhausted in ways sleep can't change. If you have ever felt exhausted in ways sleep can't change, you're not alone. Matter of fact, the bad news is that it's part of the human condition. The propensity for you and I to become spiritually jet-lagged is actually part of our fallen nature. It's woven into the human condition. It's why Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 41, when he, 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 comes, he tells the big three. Do you remember the big three, Peter, James, and John? He pulls them aside in the middle of the garden when he's about to be arrested. He's sweating blood. He's praying. His soul is in anguish. And he says to them, can you pray? They can't pray. They fall asleep. He comes to them and says this, your spirit is indeed willing, but your flesh is weak. I think that probably sums up a lot of our spiritual journeys over the years. We have a spiritual want to, but an inconsistent follow through. Because we've spent so much time enjoying the coast of the flesh. And we spent more time at that coast than we did at home with the Spirit. 
And there are a couple hard truths about that. That there's a danger, not just to us, but to our world that God has placed us in. There's a danger that remains in that world as long as you and I are carrying around our spiritual bags under our eyes. Because we're not seeing life right. We're not responding to life right. We're responding out of our exhaustion. We're responding out of our weakness rather than out of his strength. And ultimately, can I just tell you, this isn't what God has called us to. God, Jesus did not die and raise again so that you and I could have this zombified, jet-lagged relationship with God. That is not abundant life. That's barely life. And if we are honest with ourselves, and I have to be, as a pastor, I've been doing this for 30-plus years, there's times that I'm barely doing life. Oh, I can tell you I have abundant life. I can show you the verses about abundant life. I know where abundant life is theologically in my creed and in my theology. Anybody else ever feel exhausted in life? Then we're all right. Because God in this text is going to encourage us. He's speaking to the people in this text through the, the prophet Isaiah, and he's encouraging them to wake up. He's not angry or contentious because they're asleep. He simply realizes that you and I are asleep at the wheel and there's a freight train heading our way. And because he loved them and because I know he loves us today, he's crying out the same thing to his church in 2023. To the same people, God's people. He's still crying it out 2,000, 3,000 years later. He's saying this in Isaiah 51 verse 9. We're going to look at a few verses. Verse 9 says this, awake, awake, wake up, put on strength. Come on, you arm of the Lord, awake in the day, in the days, as in the days of old, the generations long ago. Flip over to the next chapter because that starts with this. Awake, awake, put on your strength, put on your garments, your beautiful garments, for the uncircumcised, the unclean have no place in you any longer. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. He, go, he ends in Isaiah 60 with verse 1 that says, Arise and shine, the light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen. On you and I. Awake, awake, arise, shine. What does it sound like God is trying to say to his people? You're sleeping. You're jet lagged. It's time to fully wake up. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to let us know that we're too groggy to see correctly. I just want you to notice something before we go into this any further because it will give some context, I think, not only to, the chat, to those verses but also to our lives. That to the people who he was writing to, that they were living in a nation that couldn't conceive that anything bad would ever be possible. Nothing bad could ever possibly happen here because, after all, we are chosen by God. They identified as being spiritually correct they were fighting against perceived uh, and they were fighting for perceived morality all the while embracing hidden immorality they believed they had god on their side does this sound familiar to anyone does this sound like any nation possibly that were nothing bad could go on here we're chosen by god 
America is the new Jerusalem, they're the new Israel. I'm sorry it doesn't say that in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible actually says all nations, including America, will war against Israel, but that's a different verse. Mm, I just messed somebody up. This is what the Bible says. All nations. All nations. All nations will fight against Israel. They thought they were all together. But they could not identify in their jet-lagged spirituality what God was actually doing. What he was saying. They were sleepwalking. Do you realize when you're sleepwalking, you act like you do when you're awake, but without purpose? It looks like the same thing, but you're not doing it intentionally. You just don't know you're actually doing it. Do you know what happened to these people? Before they knew it, the enemy, the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians came, and they found themselves oppressed and in bondage. Their kids were enslaved. Their futures were diminished. The inconceivable became their unbelievable reality, and they were unprepared. I wrote this, and today's just a little bit different of of a message, but I just wanted to share what God laid on your pastor's heart. Dee and I have been talking a lot about this, but I wrote this a few weeks ago to our pastoral team, and I wanted to share it today because I believe that God is saying the same thing to all of us, that there's a time to wake. He's not mad. He's not angry. He just realizes there's a freight train coming. That's how much he loves us because he could just say, you fell asleep. You made your bed. Lie in it. But he's crying out, there's a freight train, there's a freight train, there's a freight train. Just rise. Just rise. And if you're a guest today, I just, this is just who we are. And, and, and if it connects your home, this is just who we are. So I wrote this a little bit ago. I want to share this with you guys. Danielle and I have been talking a lot lately. There's just something in the air that is calling us to recognize the urgency in the moment. My friends, we got to, there's an urgency in the moment, an urgency to be a light into the darkness, an urgency to, to love people, an urgency to share the good news of Jesus Christ, an urgency to actually bring the kingdom into the, into the world that God has played. There's a sense of urgency because I don't know when he's coming, but I know he is. And, and, and even if it's 200 years from now, I know this, that we have the power to make today better. So there's an urgency. That this season is vitally important to prepare the bride. This isn't about building the church. It's about building up the church, the people. Because you and I are standing on the precipice as a nation and as a generation within that nation. And I feel like Israel, before the Babylonians and the Assyrians came... God had continued to warn them to pour out his spirit. He called them to holiness. He invited them into deeper intimacy with him. And time and time and time again, if you read this, they turned their backs on him and they turned their back back to rely on their own prosperity. Back to focus on building their own lives, enticed by their own idols, treating his temple, his bride, with apathy and contempt, where the wealthy oppressed the poor and conformity to the world was the norm Hello, until, until the enemy came and they were completely unprepared. As documentary after documentary comes out, tearing at the bride, and the rampant spread of the deconstruction of faith finds its footing in this generation. We cannot miss the voice of the Spirit calling to his house 
Arise, O sleeper, awake from your rest. Here's what I believe God has said, and I want to invite you to just find yourself in it maybe this morning. Invite yourself to open your spiritual ears and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal even more of this in our reality. Not, not us just as a church, but us as people. We need a bride, one that desires to be without spot or blemish. That means desires to be holy, but who embraces all, uh, but, but who also embraces all those who have them. Look, I, I, I want to let you know, I, I don't care what your lifestyle is. I, I don't care how we identify. I, I don't care what you've done or what you've been through. Look, we need to be a church that desires to be holy, but that has arms wide open to everyone who's not, because we are part of all of them. There's not an us and a them. There's just an us. A bride that seeks holiness and the one who is holy. Not just Sunday attendance or tithes. A bride that depends on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Not just on their own prosperity, position, or past experiences with God. A bride that knows the word, stands on the word, and is unmovable when it comes to the, the truth of the word in a world that will continue to undermine the word's authority and applicability. A bride that is passionately seeks to be discipled, not just inspired. Church, can we be passionate to be discipled, not just to be inspired? Man, I, man that sermon was so good. I just leave church. Pastor, I always leave church so fired up. Awesome. I'm glad that we get inspired, but the deeper what call that God is calling us to is to be disciples. A bride that recognizes the holiness, sovereignty, and divine purpose of our King and has a deep passion to connect with Him every day and in every way. A bride that is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and is persuaded it is the only thing that will bring wholeness and life to our generation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. Jesus and Jesus alone is the only thing that can change our world. There is not many ways. There is one door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I am unashamed to tell you that. Because it's the only thing that can bring hope. A bride that knows the price of forgiveness and reconciliation and works towards those ends even in their own deepest pains. A bride that loves people more than praise. More than the praise of others and even more than praise and worship. We love people. A bride that gives more to other generations than they expect from them. I'll stop there for a moment. A bride that gives more to other generations than we expect from them. Because every one of us in our own generation expects other generations to change to be like us. Give, and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. I believe without a shadow of doubt there are men and women in this room who have callings to reach a generation. Callings that, 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 that we've been jet-lagged through, that we've been groggy to pursue. But there's a generation of young people. God is a God of generations. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We should be pouring into generations more than expecting them to change for us. A bride that mourns as well as rejoices with their global brothers and sisters as much as the ones sitting next to them in the house. A bride that is prepared to worship Jesus in the midst of persecution as well as when persecution is not at their doorstep yet. A bride that sees church not merely as a time to celebrate together, but a way of life that extends to when we are separated from each other as well. 
a bride that recognizes sin, the truth that the ground is level at the foot of the cross for those sins, and that we all are in need of a Savior, not simply a spiritual coach or encourager. A bride that embraces the mandate to go and make disciples, not churchgoers. A bride of sons and daughters, not simply servants and seekers. A bride that says yes when the Spirit calls, no matter the cost or the timing. A bride that seeks to uplift the downtrodden, set free the oppressed, elevate communities, and advance our King's cause to the four corners of the earth. A bride that is madly, passionately in love with her groom, even when everything else in her world is Position to woo her away from that love. A bride hungry to see God's groom, uh, to see her groom's desires fulfilled more than her own sense of destiny met. A bride who wants to see her groom's desires, her groom's will done even more than our own destinies met. A bride that will make Jesus smile while fully being aware that we caused the scars that made him cry out. A bride fully awake fully engaged, and fully ready to trust God that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. A bride that knows heaven is our reward, but our king's will is our highest priority and pleasure. A bride that says, come Lord Jesus, come. But until he does, we will occupy what he calls us to occupy for his glory and his glory alone. Arise. Wake up. I wonder, as we listen to this, all of us, were there things that were stirred in us? What was stirred in you when you heard that? What was the Spirit stirring in? Because He stirs in all of us. What was He stirring in you? And the question then is, how will we respond? The next question maybe that we need to wrestle with is, what were the things that we knew we would struggle with personally? Because in that there, we know that there's things that we're going to struggle with personally. Then we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would I struggle with this? Why would my spirit be saying yes and my flesh saying, wait a minute? Because if in those moments, that's the place of spiritual jet lag. Right there, you've identified it. Man, I'm groggy. I'm not seeing this right. I, I'm tired. My, my, my spirit's exhausted. I'm listening too much to the flesh in this area because this is what the king's call is for all of us. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.14, to awake you who sleep, arise from the dead. He says, connect with, uh, connect with the resurrected life. Become born again. Live life from a different place than we did before. He's saying, get connected to Jesus, just like Jesus did after his resurrection. He didn't just stay resurrected, he ascended. He didn't just see things from a different perspective, he lived from a different place. My friends, that's what resurrected life is for us. It's not just seeing morality from a different perspective. It's not just seeing life from a different, it's living life from a different place. Because it's so easy for our soul to convince us we're exhausted and we're tired. And we are. Do you know how to overcome that? Get connected and stay connected to the resurrected power of the resurrected King, Jesus. Because when you look at the rest of that verse, it says, and then Christ will give you light. See, see that then that after you've done that, when you've woken up, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand 
what the will of the Lord is. After we wake up, there should be an intentionality to our life. That Greek word, circumspectly, actually means to walk carefully as though walking through thorny terrain. How many of you know you can't sleepwalk through thorny terrain carefully? You're going to sleepwalk through some thorny You're going to get poked. You're going to wake up. There's going to be blood all over you, cuts, scrapes. You're going to be, I don't even know how this happened. How many of us wake up in our life sometimes and go, man, I don't even know how I got bloodied by this relationship. I don't even know how I got beat up. I didn't know how I got this wound in my life. Yeah, because we've been sleepwalking through the thorny terrain. I remember one trip to Haiti. I bought these really cheap sneakers. This is actually the sneaker. I bought this really cheap sneaker to go to Haiti. Because in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw them away when I get home. Anyway. Right. So I had these on, and I was walking, and I was talking, and I did not see this gigantic thorn bush that was in the road. And I stepped fully on it. That thorn went through the bottom of my shoe, through the bottom of my foot, and into my bone. It hurt so bad. How many of you know... Haiti is not the place that you really want to get a thorn with some infection inside your foot. But here's the bottom line. I got it because I didn't have good protection. Because I thought any shoe was fine. Because I didn't respect the journey enough. That's the question, isn't it? How do we find ourselves respecting our journey with Jesus this morning? How do we find ourselves respecting our life for Jesus? Is a foot loose and fancy free? Will any shoe do you? Or are we carefully, intentionally, deliberately, as if fully awake, fully present, responding to God? Come on, men. The men in this room know that we can be present and still not fully present in any moment. Oh, somebody, so, ladies, so, I, so, somebody should have said amen. Ladies be like, amen. Men can be present and not fully present in any. Thank you. Christians have learned to be present without being fully present in the journey called life. You know what makes it worse? I only listened to my own counsel on that trip. If I would have asked Dee, she would have said, go buy a good pair of shoes. Protect, she says this to me all the time, protect your feet. Buy some good, no, I listened to myself. I could have picked up the phone or sent a text to my buddies that are down there who've gone before me, who live down there, and they would have told me, rocky terrain, lots of thorns, get good shoes. I didn't, I only listened to myself because after all, I'm always right. Mm. But the Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. See, we have to realize, my friends, we too often lull ourselves to sleep with our own voice. We blame the enemy. It's not. It's our own voice. It's the consistent drone of our soul's lullaby that works like spiritual ambient to us. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. I don't have time, I don't have time. I don't ha- I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Asleep. 
in this dull rhythm that we speak over ourselves time and time and time again. And the issue is we put ourselves in danger of being like Eutychus. This is the funniest and one of the most tragic stories of the Bible. I love this story. In Acts chapter 20, there's a young man by the name of Eutychus, and Eutychus is in church service. Uh, Paul's preaching, and they're in this house church, and it's packed. And so Eutychus climbs to the third-story window. The Bible says he climbs to the third-story window. He's sitting there. Paul's preaching. He falls asleep. He falls out of the window, down onto the pavement, and dies. How many of you know that's not a church service you want to go to? Right? That, but that's it. He dies. See, here's the truth. He was in the right position, but he had the wrong disposition. I think a lot of times in our lives, we have the right position. We position ourselves right. We come to church, or, 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 or we're in group, or, or we've got, we, we, we cut out some friends. We have the right position, but we have the wrong disposition to the word that's coming to us from God. And it's a challenge, my friends, especially in modern American Christianity, is that we have been taught that it's okay to climb to a certain height in Christianity and settle in. Because after all, we're above where we used to be, and we're definitely above where others are. So we settle down onto the windowsill, and we slip into sleep. Come on, how many, come on, we, we, we become hearers of the word, but become boxed in by our narrow window that we placed ourselves in. And our soul gets tired and we slip and fall. Come on, how many of us as young Christians were passionately walking on the ground floor? But now, we found a nice window seat that fits the box that we've created. And we settled right in. And we have fallen asleep, and we are spiraling towards the pavement, all while dreaming everything's good. Until, 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 and we're unprepared. This is why twice the Word of God says in these, scripts, in these texts, put on strength. Put on strength. Man, when I get tired, maybe you're like me. When, I'm get, when I get tired, my first go-to move is to get a quick-fix stimulant. I want to get a quick-fix stimulant. I go, my go-to move is coffee. When I'm tired, I go get coffee. Don't be around me before I've had my coffee. I just need to have my coffee. Give me my coffee in my morning. I'll be fine. Don't talk to me before I've had my anybody coffee. But here's the problem. We look to fix the feeling, not the condition. And so that's what we do in our spiritual lives. We look to fix the, 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 the feeling, not the condition. So we're feeling a little down, so we put on some worship while we're getting ready. Or we listen to a podcast while we're driving into church, uh, we're driving to work. Or we wake up in the morning, oh, I'm a little down today, maybe I'll decide to go to church today. And like coffee, it addresses the symptoms, but not the real problem. Can I really encourage us this morning? That instead of taking the route of Eutychus, to take the route of J.L. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because she is awesome. The story of J.L. is in Judges chapter 4. The Bible says Sisera, the enemy, comes into her tent looking for refuge. And uh, J.L. does something which is pretty interesting. She woos him over. And she lulls him to sleep on her lap. The enemy is asleep. And this is where most of us stop because the feeling inside of us is quieted. 
We, we do whatever we have to do to, st- to quiet the feeling in the moment. But the enemy is only asleep. But see, she doesn't deal with the symptom. JL deals with the condition. The Bible says she takes a tent peg and drives that bad boy through his skull. So hard, it, it nails him to the floor. He can't get up. She said, I'm not going to allow the enemy who's trying to take residency in my tent to get off the mat. I'm not going to get, take, allow the enemy that's trying to have a portion, a place in my, li- in my living space, in my life, in my place of intimacy. I'm not going to give him any room. I'm not going to be okay with him just sleeping. I'm not going to okay with him just being lulled to sleep. I'm going to nail him with a tent peg. See, when we have to say, you know, well, man, I'm just going to put on some worship to change the atmosphere. No, 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 no. We have to ask ourselves, rather than changing the atmosphere outside of us, why did we wake up without a spirit of a worship inside of us? Why, when he gave us breath, did we not turn around and give it back? Why was our breath not identified already as being given to him for praise? See, that's the condition, not the symptom. Why do I forgive some and not others? Tent peg. Why am I okay with some people being, uh, being oppressed and others not? Tent peg. By the way, the name JL means the one who ascends. I don't know about you, but I want to be the one who ascends. But it takes our willingness to take some things inside of us and tent peg those bad boys to the floor. Kill it. Kill it. Why are we playing with the enemy? Why are we flirting with just quieting the feeling when we should be killing the condition? So where do we go when we need strength? What makes us strong? I love that Hebrew word for strength there. It actually comes from a word picture of a warrior putting on their armor. In Hebrew thought, Putting on, a person putting on their armor was a person who was becoming strong. Didn't matter. They weren't talking about physical strength. They said when you put on armor, you position yourself to be strong. Isn't this what Paul tells us? Like this really isn't rocket science. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, uh, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. How do we do that? Put on the whole armor of God so that you and I can take our stand against the schemes of the devil. We need to put on the belt of truth, especially in our world today, that talks about relative truth, comparative truth, no absolute truth. No, no, no. There's an absolute truth. It is the truth of God. I don't have to understand it logically for it to be true. There's a lot of things I don't understand that are still true. I don't understand how all the stars burn. I don't understand how all gravity works in outer space. I don't understand, but I know they're true. I don't know how you can burn through $330 million, but Mike Tyson did it. I know it's true. Put on the breastplate of his righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's his. Reminds me that my actions, the heart that leads me, needs to be being led by his sense of what's right. 
I have to be ready and shod in the readiness of the gospel of peace. That means we have to be ready to share the gospel of Jesus Christ where we go, where we walk out. That's why in just a couple weeks we'll be having a video made ready for everybody to just learn how to share the gospel. Or you can use it to share the gospel with friends because the time is short. We need to be people that put on the shield of faith because the righteous shall live by faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. We start to think like saved people, like people who aren't from this world. I'm a citizen of heaven, though I live in America. People who learn how to wield, not carry, wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God and praying in the Spirit on all occasions. When we need strength, we need to be praying in the Spirit. When we need strength, we need to be praying the word of God. We need to be saying, God, I know this word is true. God, make this word true in my life. God, even if I don't see it, I know it's true. God, I know you're the God that is faithful and true. I know that you're not a man that you should lie. God, I know that your word, come on. When we need to be strong, there's times over the last couple of months that I have been so weak going through certain things. And God, I go back to a word that God gave me about a verse that I've known since I was little. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Come on. The word of God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I got to go back. All right, I got to trust God. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust in you. Your ways are not my ways. Your, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I got to pray those things because that's how strength happens. The truth is, my friends, you will wake up pretty quickly if you hear some gunshots outside of your bedroom. When we, we have to recognize today that we are in a war, not with the uh, liberal agenda of the left, or the radicalization of the right, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, with, with, with rulers in high places, with demonic agendas that the enemy uses on every side of the aisle to undermine intimacy with Jesus, not just in our nation, but inside of every one of us. It's why when David rejects Saul's armor, he says, I, I can't wear this armor because it doesn't fit me. It wasn't made for me. But the armor of Jesus was specifically made individually for each one of you because he died as you. He already has the body mold that fits you perfectly because he became you. The question isn't whether or not it will fit, but whether or not we'll wear it. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, to fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. Why? Because fire naturally begins to dwindle. We have to stoke it. We've got to get more air, more breath into the center of the fire. I remember as a Boy Scout, we were making those big kind of bonfires outside. And you used to have to get down and blow into the center of the fire. And every time you blew in your breath, the flame would go up higher and higher. That's what we need. We need to make sure that we're spending time so that the breath of God can blow into the center of our heart to deal with the things inside of us that we have allowed the embers to cool down upon. It's all right that they've cooled down. It's not all right that they've cooled down so badly that they turn back into coal. That's why it's important that we get around other men and women who are on fire for God. That's why forwards and shoulder to shoulder, our men and women's ministry, uh, discipleship ministry is so important. It's why getting discipled helps to, to, to fan that flame, 
To actually start serving people, fans of the flame, praying in the spirit, fans of the flame, getting in the word feels sometimes like it's a breath. If you haven't been in the word for a while and you get in the word, you literally sometimes can feel this breath inside of you. It's what Jeremiah says when he talks about the breath of God. He said, when the word of God came in me, it was like fire in my heart. It got to be like fire in my bones. Sometimes when I haven't been in the word and I get in the word, I feel like I breathe again. We've learned to live life on the lowest ember, thinking that that is spirituality. When God is saying, fan it into flame, fan it into flame, fan it into flame. We stoke the fire when we are the church. When Jesus wanted to empower the church to be the church, he sent fire. He sent fire, right? Acts chapter 2, they're all together in the upper room. God said, awesome, Uh, I know you've heard my word. I know you walked with me. I know you saw miracles. I know that you believed in me. I know you saw the empty tomb. Yup, awesome, let me drop some fire on you. We are sitting here praying, God, send revival, send revival, send revival. And he's saying, I've already sent the fire. Fan it into flame. I'm going to end with this. The parable of the ten virgins that's found in Matthew 25. I told you today is going to be a little different. But I hope in this, there's no condemnation. It's just a question, right? Like, let's wrestle with this together. By the way, I didn't write all this, sit down and nitpick it. I just sat down and let the Spirit speak. So I'm sure there's things missing, and I'm sure grammatically it's not correct. At the end of the day, it's the heartbeat of the king. i got to wrestle with that. Because just like there are things in that list that make you struggle, there's things in that list that I'm jet-lagged on. Just because he downloaded it to me, just like he did with Isaiah, doesn't mean that Isaiah and Pastor Kyle aren't responsible, come on, to make sure that we're still on fire. There are ten virgins, the Bible says in Matthew 25. He says this right before he gets taken, by the way. This is one of the last things he talks about. He said there are ten virgins who are a picture of the bride. And the bride is us, the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, while they were waiting for the groom to return, because the groom had been away for a while, they were waiting for him to return. Do you know what the Bible says happened to that bride? They fell asleep. They fell asleep. Until they heard the sound of the one coming. They heard the sound. When a groom would be coming to get his bride, there would be an announcement that would come before them. Someone who would run into the town, the the groom's coming, the groom's coming, the groom's coming. At times, there would be trumpeters that would come in, it depended on the position of the person, the groom. And they would blow the trumpet. The, the, The groom is coming, the groom is coming. When they heard the sound that the groom was on his way, the groom hadn't arrived yet, the groom wasn't at the door yet, the groom was on his way. The Bible says they got up and trimmed their lamps. They set fire to the lamp, the light of God. They set fire to it. But some of them couldn't do it because they weren't ready. They had no oil. They hadn't prepared themselves. They thought they were good simply because they were one of the brides. And the issue is not that they had fallen asleep because the groom wasn't upset that they were falling asleep. But it was that when they awoken, there was no fire 
because they didn't think it was a big deal to have it. He wasn't even upset that they were asleep. They just woke up and said, didn't really, didn't have time to get the oil. You got to understand, I have other things, I have other priorities in my life. Pastor, you don't know what I have to go, I get it. There's no chastisement. There's just reality between brides who are ready and brides who aren't. There are five brides on each side. Five is the number of grace. Grace gives us the space to fall asleep and it be okay. But John tells us in John 1.17 that Jesus came in grace and truth. So where grace enables us to be okay when we fall asleep, it also points us to truth when we wake up. When they woke up, they set fire to the lamp, to the oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there were oil already in the lamp. There was oil in the lamp. There was oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. There's oil in my lamp. I pray. Hallelujah. There's oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning to the break. Oh, I, oh, I went to VBS. There it is. Give me gas in my Ford. Keep me trucking for the Lord. Give me wax on my board. Keep me surfing for the Lord. I got a lot of them. Just keep going. Yes, they were asleep. But they heard. They saw. They responded. And they followed the groom. They heard. They saw. They responded. And they followed. They heard he's coming he's coming he's coming he's coming they had prepared themselves with oil that wasn't a light yet but when they heard that he was coming they set aflame the oil that they had prepared of the holy spirit so that they could see and when they could see they responded and then when they responded they followed the groom they followed jesus they didn't follow a political party or a cultural narrative or a generational agenda they followed jesus what we need is a church is a bride that will stand up and here my king is coming here there's a there's urgency in the moment I know he's not here yet but he's down the road he's on his way there's got to be a light of the spirit that happens so that I can see and start to respond and follow Jesus not a political party Jesus not a cultural narrative Jesus not a generational agenda Jesus Jesus It's all right that you and I have been asleep. It's not all right that we stay that way. And I know that there are people in this room who, like me, have been saved a really long time. The danger of where we sit is that we have climbed to our third story windows. We have created the window box that we are safe in and that we like. And we think that we are fine But like Eutychus, we are falling asleep in our self-righteousness and piety. And there is a world dying. Our kids who don't eat. I'm not talking about Haiti. 1,500 young people are homeless in Philadelphia across the street. Camden for years has been the most dangerous and poorest city in our country. 
three miles away. We sit in these beautiful seats in this amazing building. We have jobs, we pay our bills, we sing our praises, we put on our worship, we try not to talk bad about other churches or other people. That is low burning embers, my friends. Which one of the 10, which one of the five are we? The five who were asleep, but when they heard, they allowed the flame to light the oil in their lamp? Or the five who didn't think it was a big deal because they were good, after all, they were chosen already? Paul says, wake up those who are asleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. What stirred us when we heard this? What challenged us when we listened? And now that we have been aroused and roused from our slumber, Connect Church, how will we respond? Who will greet the visitor next week at the door? Who will take the risk this week and share the gospel with a friend? Who will feel the urgency of the moment and realize that forgiveness cannot be withheld one more second? Who will allow the fire of God to burn away the fear of man and actually engage with people that other Christians may think you shouldn't engage with? Who will be light and grace and compassion? How good is our God? He's not mad at us for being asleep. He just said there's a freight train coming. Here's the truth, I don't know if that freight train's gonna hit my generation or not. I don't know if I'll be alive when that freight train hits this country, but the freight train's coming. And there's no special pact that America has with God. No matter what we think, this is not biblical. Freight train's coming. God sends revivals at times because the fire has become so low, he has to ignite it again. But maybe we don't have to cry out for revival. Maybe we just have to take the fire he already gave us and fan it into flame. So are we looking for a jet lag life? Or do we hear the sound of the groom coming? Will we light the fire again? and get up and choose to full-on follow Jesus? Not American Christianity. Not to have a more prosperous life. Not to get something from God. But because we are so in love with Him, all we want to do is put a smile on the face of the one who carried our sin. That's where we're headed. That's who Daniel and I are going to choose to be. You want to know what Connect's about? There we go. 
and we're going to do it here, and we're going to do it in Haiti, and we're going to do it in Camden, we're going to do it in Philly, we're going to do it around the world. We're just going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to, wherever. When the Spirit says come, let's go wherever we go. Let's pray. This whole message has been an altar call. Not just to be saved, but to follow Jesus as Lord. So that's what I'm going to invite you to today. If you've never given Jesus your heart, you've been trying to get to God through all your good works, the bad news is that will never work. You'll never be good enough. But the best news is you don't have to be good enough because it's not about your goodness. It's about how good Jesus is. The Bible says forgiveness is open and free. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So in just a moment, if you've never actually prayed that prayer before, if you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, we're going to pray together and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. But maybe today you've prayed that prayer before and to be honest, Jesus is your Savior. You know you're going to heaven. You know you've been thinking about that. That's a good thing. But to be honest, whether he is Lord or not, that's the real issue. And today, maybe something stirring inside of you is the Spirit stirring you to say, step full in. Go all in. Go all in. Go all in. You pray this prayer with us as well. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. Wherever we are, whatever condition we're in, if we come and ask him to be Lord and Savior, he changes us in that moment, in that space, in that time. So let's pray. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my whole life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm ready to go full on for Jesus. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit today. Set my heart on fire. Help me to never look back. All I want to do is to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we just give God some glory? Thank you, Lord God, for who you are. Hallelujah. Hey, my friends, the reality is if you prayed that with us, we are so excited for you. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. But this isn't the end of the journey, it's just the beginning. We want to help you in that process. Right after service, Pastor Rick and Pastor Kathy, they're going to be right back here at these tables. We have a free book for you, whether you're an adult or whether you're a teenager, we have books for you that just help you to walk this thing out. Let us know. Let's, let us, let's pray with you. And if you didn't make that decision, tell somebody about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Did you receive anything from God today? I pray you let it stir. Don't, don't get me wrong. We're going to have all what I read to you today available. Again, 
This isn't like, thus saith the Lord through Kyle. Like, this isn't holy scripture. However, everything that it represents is what is represented in scripture. May the Lord God keep you and bless you. And may his breath fan those embers into flame. We've got one last thing to do before we go. Pastor Ron's gonna come and just uh, help us in our, in our worship of giving today. And then he's gonna pray over you. We're gonna walk into this week choosing, hearing, hear, hear, hearing, he's coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. My king's coming. I don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. That's why the word says, with a trumpet blast. Mm. Come on, give Pastor Ron a hand as he's coming. Are you on fire? Mm -hmm. You have something waking up in your soul today? Oh, come on, come on. Something's got to be stirring up inside of us. Amen? Thank you, Pastor Kyle, for the great word. And as he said, now's the time for us to prepare um, our giving of tithes and offerings today. And up on the screen, you'll see the different ways that you can give. Uh, we have these offering envelopes that you can use and drop into the kiosks today. Um, or you can point your camera to the QR code, and that allows you to, to go online through CCB and give that way as well, you know. But, you know, I believe that we all have something to give. We all have something to give today. Amen? So true. Jesus showed us that. You know, there was the widow with just two mites that gave into everything that she had that day. And Jesus said that was good. There was the boy who had five loaves and two fish, and that was multiplied and given to thousands of people. There was Zacchaeus who was rich, and he gave so much of what he had to others. All different ways that we can locate ourselves with that. Even the woman at the well, who didn't have anything to give of a resource except what was in the well, she went back to the town to tell everybody about Jesus and cause a revival in people's hearts, you know. So we all have something to give. Irene and I were walking through our neighborhood in Philly yesterday, and there was a man uh, seated um, on, a on a stoop and uh, just said hello to us and asked us if we had something. And we didn't have anything in our pockets, but then we diverted our way and, and went over and, and got a bagel with cream cheese and brought it back to him uh, because it was a morning time. And he was so grateful. And then we then took what we learned from thy kingdom crumb and we said to him, hey, do you know about Jesus? Do you know if you were to die today and go to heaven, what would you say to God? And he gave us the answer that he was saved. So we were thankful for that moment. But we all have something to give. And Pastor Kyle just shared this. But in Romans 12, Paul writes, As God has dealt each of us a measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, the bride of Christ, all of the members do not have the same function, but we being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another and it goes on to talk about all the ways that we can give
from what God has given to us from that faith. And says down the end that he who gives, let him give with liberality. So from what we have today, let's choose to give to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray for the offering today. Thank you, Lord, for you You are so good. Everything comes from your hand. And we thank you that you give us each a measure of faith that we can fan into flame, that we could choose this day what we shall give to you, to others, to all that you place in our lives, Lord. We thank you that today you're going to bless the gift and bless the giver. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we say this. Amen. 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 Church, would you stand with me? I feel like I'm going to need a minute after that message, right? I was trying hard to stay with you, Pastor Ron, but I was like, you know how it's like when you hear something and then you're where you just were and you need a minute to get where you're going? That's what I just felt like. I was like, the Lord is so in this place and I just want to acknowledge it, right? Because like we, we try our best to acknowledge the Lord in worship and then he brings his word and sometimes we don't see it as his presence. We see it like as his tool, but I just like, I'm so aware, right? So just before we go, let's just take a moment and just remember that there really is nobody like him. Like when I was singing that, I kept saying like, nobody means nobody, Danielle. Nobody means nobody. That's mind-boggling when you look back over your week and you figure out what is at your attention. Whether it's a person or a thing, the, the thing, the, it has been bigger. If you think back this week to what, what has driven your attention, it probably outweighs the attention that has been driven to the nobody is no means nobody body so just before we leave let's just remember that you don't have to like sing a song it's just we're just going to just be here for a minute and just remember oh my gosh nobody means nobody like right nobody 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 oh nobody 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 no one That means no one but you is you is you. No one is like you, no one's beside you. Nobody means nobody is like you. Thank you for being the only. Thank you for being the only. May you be my only As you are, as you are, as you are the only The one and only The one and only Father, I thank you, God
for truth that comes from you, God, with your love. Your love makes room enough for us to feel the restraint of your truth, but to feel the engulfment of your love as well. And I thank you, God, for that. I thank you that only a humble God could tell us that there's nobody like you and it be okay. And it's not a brag. It's the truth. It's the truth that will remain. And I thank you, God, that we serve a God that can't be changed, that can't be moved, that you can't morph. Thank you, God, for being exactly who I know you to be and help me to know who you are more than I do today. And help us to all remember that nobody is like you and nobody means nobody. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, church. Love you.